those people who aren't ready to necessarily participate in what you're selling aren't necessarily a bad thing. And you just need to find the right techniques Mm -hmm. to kind of bring them along the journey in the way that works for them. Welcome back to Titans of Customer Engagement, a customer experience podcast from Koros. You are looking for the next step toward creating a connected customer experience. And this is the place to learn from industry peers and leaders how to build a CX strategy with human connection so that you can create customers for life. Let's get started. Welcome. I'm Philippe Mesritz, VP of Customer Experience and Operations here at Koros and your host for the day. I'm excited to have Louise Branscombe come on the show. She's a senior community manager at Strava and someone we consider a titan of customer engagement. When we talked, she told me she was an avid visitor and hiker of national parks and has visited 20 or so far. I think I might be at three or four, something like that. So definitely nothing near what you've got. Louise, what did you find the most interesting or beautiful? Hi. Well, thanks for having me on the show. When it comes to national parks, I have a a continuous change of my favorites. So I'm going to advocate for Joshua Tree National Park because it's my most local one. And I go there probably four or five times a year. But the most beautiful one for me and, and the most special place is Bryce Canyon National Park in Utah. That's one that I would go to um, over and over again, if I had the opportunity. Really, I've never been to either of those. I've heard of a, I've heard of Joshua Tree, and I've seen some pictures, and it's definitely a an idyllic location for sure. Absolutely, it was the first place, the first national park I'd ever been to when we first arrived in California, and I was just blown away by how amazing the park is. It's just like another world, and I have so many pictures of Joshua Trees that I don't know what to do with them. <laughs> Well, that's good. I mean, they're an endangered species of tree, so it's good to have the pictures for possible future. So as we talk about kind of the professional side of things, the a topic that's been of interest lately that I've seen on different blogs and different um, areas of, of conversation, and I think you've got an interesting perspective on it, is this concept of lurkers in a community. Now, there's also lurkers and watches and social media and people that just hang around. But on a community, it's been a long internal battle about what to do about lurkers and do they matter and all this kind of stuff. So, Louise, what do you think and how do you think that we should be thinking about it? This is a fascinating topic for me and and certainly one when I was first introduced to community that I was kind of puzzled by. Especially for me, the word lurker seems to conjure this idea of something bad, something sinister, something that you have to be kind of looking out for. The lurker Uh, behind the shadows, right? Yeah, exactly. So I I did a little bit of research on this to figure out why I I had this initial reaction to it. And I found this definition of lurkers, which says to move about in a sly or secret manner. And I thought, that doesn't sound representative of what people are doing in communities. And so it just seemed such an odd word to use for people who are coming to your community uh, that you, you do value, but you just kind of have a different way of evaluating what they bring to your community. Mm -hmm. 
So I, I, I've seen a lot of um, conversation recently and, and conversation in the past about the term lurker and different ways to think about that. And I'm definitely feeling like there's a, there's a bit of a campaign here for us all collectively to agree how to kind of redefine what, what we mean by lurker and give them a better, more positive words. So what kind of words have you heard about lately? I know one that I've well, heard, but I'm sure you've got some. <laughs> In my research, uh, I've seen people refer to these people as browsers, learners, visitors. And there was a really nice definition from Rachel Silvano in an article she did she did just a couple of weeks ago, where she talked about them as listeners, consumers, or learners. And I thought, you know, there, there's a lot of positivity around those words. And I think it, it kind of gives us as community professionals a different perspective of how to look at those people. I would agree with that. I think the one area that perhaps is a challenge to that statement is everybody that comes to your community is likely to be a learner. So, or a visitor. So sometimes we have to figure out what that criteria looks like. And because I've thought about the word learner as well in the past. And for me, maybe it's passive learner or something along those lines that is a little bit more defined as someone that is not actively engaged with the community or actively engaged with your social posts, actively engaged with you as a brand. Because I think I personally, I'm 100% in agreement with your statement that the concept of a lurker to me feels like someone that's going to jump out at you at the shadows and then assassinate you or do something along, yeah. those, along those lines, right? And so mm -hmm. you want people that are lurkers, that are learners, that are in the background who are consuming your, your brand. And so thinking about how that all works, what do you think the benefits are to having a, a pool of these individuals, regardless of what they're called? I think it's really important and I think there's a series of metrics that we all report on and we all monitor that, that kind of shows us what those people are doing. But one of the things I spent some time doing after we talked about this subject before was I tried to put this into like a real world context for me. And the only analogy I could come up with is if you own a shop and in that shop, you have people who walk through the door, they know exactly what they want, they're there to buy, they make a transaction, you interact with them, they get what they want, they leave. And they may be a regular customer and you might get to know them by name and, and, and that kind of um, behavior. The other set of customers you're likely to get are people who come through the door but they just look around and they might interact with what you have. They may or may not ask you a question. They're probably not going to buy anything at that stage. They may come back several times before they commit to buying. Now, that's a really interesting audience to me because they've made the step to come in. So although the definition of them doing something active is not necessarily as tangible, they are doing something, they're, they're considering, they're thinking, they're taking in what you have to offer and maybe going away and, and thinking about that and coming back and, and kind of moving to that next stage. And they're quite significant compared to the people who are outside of your shop and who just walk past and never stop, mm -hmm. or even the people who look in the window and don't open the door. So that was the analogy that, that sort of kind of struck me about this situation was that those people who aren't ready to necessarily participate in what you're selling 
aren't necessarily a bad thing and you just need to find the right techniques mm -hmm. to kind of bring them along the journey in the way that works for them but it's better to have them inside the shop than not inside the shop does that make any sense or is that a totally mad analogy? <laughs> no, actually, I think it's quite an interesting analogy. And what's very interesting about it is recently there is someone at our house that uh, her perspective is if you go into a shop, you should buy something every time. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I go into shops all the time without buying. But it's the same exact concept, right? Some people feel obligated to take part in your community. Some people feel that it's fine to, to browse as it were, but when you boil it down, there's that whole like historical sales concept where you have to be pitched to seven times or you have to see the messaging seven times. And I don't think this is any different. It's just a different mechanism, a different venue and a different ecosystem that people are in. And, and when you go into a store, maybe you go, hey, this is interesting. I'm not going to buy this today, but I'm going to keep it in the back of my mind for a birthday or Christmas or whatever reason that you are, are giving gifts. And I think it's no different that someone may see a post on a community and come back to it. And maybe today they don't feel comfortable posting, but tomorrow they will or the week after or six months or maybe even never. But if they're not inside your store, they're not inside your community. You can't influence them. You can't do anything. So I think it's a very good point that you made. So from that perspective, it sounds like you're a fan of of these lurkers, learners, people that are uh, more passive to your engagement. What do you think about? Okay, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted your question. No, that's fine. How do you? Did you think, want to re-ask that question? Yeah, no, nah, it's fine. How do you think? How do you feel about getting them engaged? What do you think the things are that would? bring people on board that maybe haven't done it before, that haven't gotten there. And I don't mean that in the sense of let's go and bang their door down and say, hey, you have to, otherwise you're going to get classified as this lurker. It's a negative thing. But there's there's ways to bring people into a conversation to consume more. And what tactics or thoughts do you have on that sense? I think that's a really interesting question about how to engage and support those lurkers or learners or browsers or whatever word we, we decide we're going to come up with here. I think personally, when I'm in that situation of browsing, I don't want that high pressure. I don't want someone coming over to me every 10 seconds and asking me if I need anything. Have I looked at this? What am I looking for? What's my occasion? That puts me off. I don't want that that high pressure situation when I'm just in my own thoughts and, and trying to assess myself. So that puts me off and that makes me not want to go back to that particular environment. So I think there's probably a number of different ways that, that you can kind of make it feel like it's okay to be that person. I think we have to be really careful about not pushing membership on people mm -hmm. um, as much as we can. I think we have to be careful about not over-promoting the benefits of membership, so being considered in how we do that. I think looking for opportunities to provide um, smaller engagement pieces. 
So one of the things we've done in our community, which I think actually was a recommendation from Coros maybe when we migrated last year, was really kind of formalizing that process of member introductions. So it's the first time someone's made a post, so they're, they're not quite sure how the post thing works, what they're supposed to do, what's expected of them, mm -hmm. how it's going to look, who's going to interact with them, are they going to get any views, etc. So I think it's kind of small, easy ways to, to get people feeling a little bit more comfortable in that environment are, are really key. But Obviously, there's no one size fits all. Just because you have an introduction board doesn't mean that everyone in that group of learners or browsers are going to introduce themselves. So are there other ways to bring them in? Are there more simple questions, more broad questions that you can use? And I've heard a lot of people talk about potentially for new members. Um, so if they've become a member, but they haven't done anything for a period of time, kind of small nudges, like adding them to a special user group, which is a safe space for them and saying, hey, you're new to the community. Do you have any questions that you want to ask in a safe place or you know, some basic questions about the industry that you're in that, that maybe you feel slightly awkward about asking somewhere else in the community. We have a dedicated group of people here to look after you and make you feel kind of ready for the next stage of your journey. So I, I think like in, in any store, they use lots of different techniques to kind of bring you in, whether that's the small thing at the checkout that is kind of an impulse buy and you're like, okay, I feel comfortable with that. The small decisions, the things that don't require too much investment and potentially don't require from a community perspective, too much vulnerability. Mm -hmm. So putting yourself out there and potentially experiencing some negative kickback because you're asking something that others consider, you know, basic or has been asked multiple times before. Right. Um, and they don't think this is the place for that. So there's kind of a lot of things in there to potentially bring them out. But I think patience is is probably the key virtue that we should all bring to that situation. I think it's a good point. And uh, actually, on a pre po previous podcast, we had a conversation about how do you bring new users into the community? And the whole concept of a private board and a private space and newbie space was a very interesting conversation. And it's been taken a couple of different ways in the past where maybe it's your super users are in that area and their expectation is to help elevate these people. And then the other part that I thought was kind of interesting that you were talking about is the whole making sure that when you are nudging people that it's not intrusive. And it's not ongoing. Otherwise, you feel like you're walking into a store or a car dealership and everybody's swarming you. And it's like, wait, just back off. I just want to look. I don't need to buy anything right now. I just want to look around. And yet you still get that constant, okay, or do you need help yet? Do you need help yet? Do you need help yet? And it ends up being a very negative experience instead. And then it's a very quick way to turn your learners and your lurkers off. And they're like, no, nah, I don't want to be on this community. I don't need this community because I don't want to be pressured into the conversation. So I think it's it's definitely a balancing act to your point. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. And I've seen some some really nice ways that people have done this for maybe if you have a new community and your membership is is kind of nudging up in smaller quantities, sometimes a personalized private message to a new member to say hi and, and introduce yourself and, and give them a couple of key places they might want to look. That's a really nice way to just, you know, kind of 
make them feel a bit more comfortable with their decision and, and hopefully make them feel a little bit better about interacting. Obviously, as you get to scale and you have maybe hundreds or thousands of new members every week, you kind of have to attack that in a slightly different way. But I think there, there are lots of ways, whether you're new or whether you're an established community of scale, mm-hmm. to just kind of provide the right level of making the environment comfortable so that people are, are feeling okay about making that next step. But as you said, not putting so much pressure on them that they feel overwhelmed, that they must do something and, and then they kind of back away. Yeah. Fear uh, prevents you from being active in any way, whether it's going out and doing something, whether it's taking part in a community, you don't want that negative backlash if you can avoid it. When you think about yeah kind of that bigger picture side of things. Now think about the brand and the fact that these lurkers are, call it using visits and using views and they're actively using the bandwidth for the community in general. What what do you feel the benefit for a brand is? So why why is it good to have these individuals that are more passive on your community, even though they're not quote unquote providing direct value? I think there's a couple of ways that I think about this. We have a support community. So obviously one of the the major aims of that community is to provide people with answers to questions. So questions that have been asked before, they have accepted solutions. That question doesn't need to get asked again. That person immediately finds what they need, maybe prevents them from making a support call, which is a different experience for them and, you know, for for their organization might not be the right solution. So the benefits of kind of people coming and finding answers to their questions and moving forwards using that views of accepted solutions metric is important for support organizations. Like mm-hmm. we, we don't want every single member to come and ask the same question 10, 20 times. We want to make sure we're sharing knowledge and people are able to find that. So they're going to make up a large proportion of those people who are browsing for what they're looking for. They got the answer they needed. They carried on with their work. So Mm -hmm. I think that it's important to think about what your use case is. And as a support organization, that's that's kind of a really strong one is that you don't want it to be 100 questions from 100 members. You want it to be, um, I guess, kind of shared knowledge Mm -hmm. and peer-to-peer support. But I imagine for other use cases where maybe you're looking for advocacy or, you know, kind of sense of belonging, that type of thing, those measurements of people participating are are probably more important. But again, kind of bringing it back to, is it better to have an audience that you know, or is it better to have an audience that you know and a potential audience? So always knowing that there are more people who are potentially going to convert and are, are kind of waiting in the wings rather than thinking, well, this is everything I've got. Like, so now I have to go and find more people and get them into that state. You've always got this constant funnel of people and you just kind of try different levers and experimental posts and, and nudges to keep moving them forward. So I feel like as a brand potential audience, is just as important as the actual audience you can see and measure. 
Does that make any sense? I'm not sure I did that one justice. <laughs> no, it, it does make a lot of sense. And when you think about the support community, your concept of 100 posts for 100 members, you might as well just say, come open a ticket with us at that point. Yeah. It doesn't gain you any benefit. And the same thing goes for brand. And I think you're absolutely right. Knowing, I think there's also this combination of you can be passive on a community yet be a member. So there's probably a couple of different categories when we really think about it. It's there's the people that are active that could be your super uh, super fans and, and, and the people that are constantly posting. There's the actives who um, maybe just have conversations. Then you've got your registered members who never post. And then you've got your true, for those open communities out there, the true like Google searched people. And that's that's probably the hardest area to quantify because they don't have a direct measurement. Whereas a member might be able to hit a kudos or be able to interact with a post in some very, very subtle way, but not actually providing an answer or an accepted solution. And so I think when you think about the tracing and the tracking, it's being able to tell that story and be able to show this is the value for each of those organizational levels or for each of those membership levels and, and thinking about it in a different way. And I've been having this conversation about perspectives a lot lately, where if you try to do the same thing all the time, you end up with the same exact perspective. And so you have to pause and rethink the value of that lurker and think about how that, Im that imper person provides the right assistance for you. And I think that's a good way that, that Esri's thinking about it and you're thinking about it from a the value that these people who are not necessarily interacting still bring to the table. Yeah, it's definitely an indicator of success for us, views of accepted solutions. That, that, that's huge for us, and, and that could be an anonymous user. It could be someone who maybe is a member, but they haven't logged in, discovered it through Google search, and they're not a member. They find what they wanted because it's publicly available. And they don't need to create an account unless they actually want to comment or kudo or add to. So I, I know that we would love for everyone to find this stuff from Google and kudo mm -hmm. it. And then we know the value of all of these posts. But we do know how many people have viewed the accepted solution. So do we need to force them to kudo it in order to add additional value to that? I'm not sure that we need both metrics. I think one metric is sufficient there, whether it's an accepted solution view from a member that we know or an anonymous user who came in from, from a Google search or any other um, search engine. I, I mean, I think that's a, it's a good point because if you measure both and in some ways you're double counting the effectiveness. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, it's definitely a good call out. So when we talked, uh, you had mentioned that you had been a learner on Atlas, the chorus community side of things. And over the last while, you've gone from Lurker to being a Titan in our recognition programs. So how did you do that? Or maybe the better question is why? What made you go from this passive to someone that was engaged and helping people answer questions and really taking part in the community instead? So your personal journey, call it. I think the, the interesting for me, thing for me, having worked in community from the community professional side and then being part of a community for a professional reason, I hadn't really kind of figured out what I wanted when the role was reversed. 
So when I first joined Atlas, we were encouraged as a new customer, go there, find stuff. You'll find lots of blogs and documentation and there'll be ideas that other people have submitted. So I thought, oh, this is interesting. You know, I, I might be able to find the answer to my questions. And then I kind of started browsing around and saw all these great people who were doing amazing things and, and were clearly really knowledgeable, as well as all the staff. And I thought, wow, you know, I... I don't know what I can contribute here. I'm I'm new. The product is new. You know, we're we're kind of at a really early stage here. So I kind of started out really slow with ideas because as a new customer, you know, you see things, you have a different perspective about them. Sure. You maybe have a new requirement that someone hasn't already asked for. So that's kind of where I started was representing myself and our wider team at Esri to say, hey, this would be really good if we could have this. And sometimes it did exist and someone pointed us in the right direction and other times it didn't. And I'm, you know, tracking those ideas and, and hoping they make it into um, a future release. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I started. But then as I gained knowledge through our migration last year and through the usage this year, I suddenly realized I actually had some answers for people. And people had been so generous with their time when I needed it, when I started asking questions, that I felt that it was kind of my responsibility to give them answers back if I could. Um, and I have to say that initially I felt like a total imposter <laughs> in that realm because I thought, well, I might have part of a solution. I might have the wrong interpretation of a solution and, and someone else more, you know, more experienced than me is going to call me out on that. And that just wasn't the case. You know, everyone was really supportive. They mm -hmm. added to each other's comments. You know, if mine wasn't quite right, someone could come in and correct it. And everyone was really courteous. And I put that down to the fact that everyone in Atlas are, you know, they are community professionals. So if you're going to get the nicest interaction within a community, why not do it in a community of community professionals? Because they kind of know the rules already and they kind of know the behaviors and and so I, I think it just was so easy to kind of move through the, you know, just voting on ideas to answering questions to, you know, providing some value back um, as kind of my thank you to everyone who helped me through last year's migration with all my questions. I think it's funny. Yeah. The, the point of it being a nice place because everybody's a community manager or a community professional, we've got social media people who also like they're out on social all the time. And so they see mm -hmm. the negativity and it's, I think it may be an interesting topic for a future podcast is why are people nicer in certain scenarios than others? But I do think it's a, it's a good point. And then your comment on an imposter and I'll, I'll say this for you and I'll say it for the audience as well. And that is look, my view on imposter syndrome and similar things is literally this, you're trying to grow and learn. Everybody is an imposter in that side of things. There is no such thing as someone, if, if you're not an imposter, quote unquote, meaning you're pretending to do something, you're not there yet, then you're not learning anything. You're just doing the same thing over and over again. And I think it's one of the things that I challenge people with is you have to put yourself out there uh, and stretch yourself. Otherwise you end up with, you don't get on a podcast, you don't get on a call, you don't take part into communications and conversations. You always stay on the background and, and by virtue of that, you don't really grow that much. Yeah, for sure. And I think certainly the launch of the Titans program this year 
was really interesting for me because I was kind of like, oh, this, this is interesting. I, I'm, I'm in this different group now. I wonder what this means. And, and being able to have those focused conversations with this group of experts who, you know, have had far greater experience of, of the world of, of Koros and, and everything that went before now. And they have such great perspectives and, and have worked in multiple different community teams. It's such a great resource. Like when I'm stuck, when I'm thinking about doing something, when I'm just looking to see if anyone else has done it before, it's one of the first places I come to. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think I put in a, a question a couple of weeks ago into this group saying, is a community ideas exchange a good idea? So i.e. specifically ideas on how to improve the community experience, not just the services that Esri develops and the mm-hmm. products that we offer. Because I was really worried, you know, we, we might be opening ourselves up to a lot of um, difficult comments around community experience that we were going to struggle to manage and some really great perspectives from some people in the Titan program there. So it's nice to have that collection of people who you know have probably been through this before. This is not their first time around the block in community um, and they can bring something new to to kind of your perspectives and and share maybe a aha moment or a don't do this moment. And I think that's really valuable for everyone from a community perspective. Absolutely. I think the conversations are are definitely critical. When you think about the conversation today or anything else that you've learned, what do you think, if you are going to give one piece of advice to our audience, what's the next step they should take? What should they go do and stop listening to this podcast, go do this one thing? What do you think it would be? I think the first thing I would say is find a different word than lurker. Okay. Just... And be okay with that. It doesn't need to be learner, parentheses, lurker. I, I think it would be great if everyone found their definition of lurker that isn't the word lurker. I, I think for me, that would be amazing. But I think as kind of a tangible step to that, define what are the metrics of success for that group of people, whether that's views of accepted solutions whether it's traffic, whether I, I can't even think what other metrics you might use for that. I'm sure other people have lots of great ideas, but really hone in on what you think indicates that audience is doing and when you know, um, when the metrics point to the fact that you maybe need to do some some nudging activities to to bring them up to the next level, but find the right balance in in how you approach that. Awesome. Uh, Louise, thank you for your time. And I've learned a ton. And I think our audience has, has definitely learned from your perspective on like how do we reframe this entire conversation around lurkers, why people move back and forth. And I think it's really great. So before we go, where can listeners follow you, check out your content, get to know more? So as, as we talked about, I'm on Atlas. So I'm E.L. Branscombe as my username on Atlas. And you can find me on LinkedIn under Louise Branscombe. Awesome. I appreciate it. And thanks to everyone for listening. Until the next time on Titans of Customer Engagement, uh, Louise has some reference materials that we'll put into our Atlas post about this as well. So feel free to follow along with that and, and get some more information. So thanks very much and have a great day. 
Thanks for spending time with us today on Titans of Customer Engagement, a customer experience podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, leave us a review, and spread the word. Your feedback means a lot to us. Continue the conversation on Koros Atlas at community.koros.com. Until next time. The CX world is now digital first. It's what customers expect and Koros can help. Koros is an award-winning customer engagement platform built to turn those siloed interactions with your customer into enterprise value. You can harness the power of human connection across the customer experience from outbound marketing, social, messaging, chat, and SMS to owned and digital communities. Customer engagement means staying always connected. Find out how customer-first software and services can make you a titan of customer engagement at koros.com.